are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Our teaching text today is from Acts 15, 36 through 40. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Man, I don't know about you. I'm feeling good. There's a parade outside. I don't know if you know about that. St. Kono, we're celebrating, we're representing. He's right there. If you were wondering what that was. Um, Okay. So I've got three uh, core principles uh, in this series. Uh, Essentially, they're clear and honest communication, consistency in word and deed, and consideration of others. Like, if you traffic in those three things, you and I will be fast friends. Uh, If you're not down with those, we'll probably be in conflict. Um, And these things have, like, these, these, like, principles have kind of developed at different times in my life. It kind of crystallizes very important to me. But the earliest one was clear and honest communication. And that was because I grew up with uh, TGIF. For those of you who may not know, thank God it's Friday, ABCs, Friday night, prime time, great American acts of cinema. I don't know if it's cinema, but television. I mean, we had Family Matters, Step by Step, Perfect Strangers, Deep Cut, not a lot of people remember. But I would watch these sitcoms growing up, and what killed me was that, like, Essentially, this whole 30 minutes often centered on conflict arising from miscommunication. It was like, hey, could you bring home some flour? And then he brought home flowers. And she's like, now I can't make dinner. Why do you hate my cooking? And it would be this whole 30 minutes about something that would clearly been like just over in two minutes. And said, what did you say? And so it just drove me crazy that people just didn't communicate well. Uh, And so that carried through with me. But I think like, you know, 90% of problems that we face in our lives, right, kind of boil down to miscommunication. But then there's kind of these other 10% that can't be wrapped up in 30 minutes, like where we really, we hear each other clearly and we just disagree, right? That's when you get into HBO. Um, <laughs> and so I've been, I've been ruminating on that. Like, what do you do in that place where you and I are just at odds? 
Well, if you haven't been here uh, in the last few weeks, one, I'm Patrick, one of the pastors here. Two, we've been in this series called Messy Church, where we've essentially been looking at the early church in Acts, those people that we often pathologize and lionize. It's this like perfect, beautiful picture of church and what we should be like. And we just kind of gloss over all the stuff that marred them, bias and and these like boundary lines they set and lying and thievery. All of that was in the early church. And so as we tried to be the community that God is calling us to be, a people, a family grounded in presence, prayer and holiness, well, we can't delude ourselves that that means we are moving towards some sort of utopian community or society. Actually, it means that we're becoming clear-eyed to the fact that there is an inevitable offense that will occur among us. And so what do we do in that place? How do we step on each other's toes and keep dancing? I think there's something to learn from the early church. And I think there's something to learn about relational strife, which is what we're looking at today. And that, if we're honest, is one of the primary causes of conflicts within communities like these. It's not so much like me against institution, though that we've addressed that, but a lot of times it's the person sit, sitting next to me or who won't sit next to me and I've got some issue with. Well, there's a bit about this in the early church. Um, to give you some backdrop on where we're gonna go, Acts 15, remember, the church is exploding, right? We went from like 150, some odd believers gathered in Jerusalem, day of Pentecost, as Jim told us about last week, 3,000 people are now added, and more people are being added daily. This thing is getting unwieldy. There's everyone, people are hungry, people are getting mistreated, they're trying to figure all this stuff out. And not only is the church thriving in Jerusalem and, and moving up from there into like uh, Asia Minor, but Paul, used to be Saul, his name is Paul now, used to be a, a very staunch Jew, and now is this new believer in the way of Jesus and is one of the leaders of this movement, has taken his buddy Barnabas and they've gone out on some missionary journeys, telling the good news to those who aren't Jewish. The faith is starting to spread to Gentiles or, or, or non-Jewish uh, people all around uh, the, the surrounding area. And so Paul and Barnabas have gone into Asia Minor, what is now today Turkey, and they've come back to Antioch. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Antioch. It's kind of this thriving metropolis. It was one of the central hubs on the Silk Route, which was this, 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 uh, the Silk Road, which was this, this trafficking of spices and products all throughout the, uh, the, 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 the modern world at that time. And so there's this like kind of this cosmopolitan place, much like the city that we inhabit. And the early church is thriving there. They come back to Antioch. There's this whole mess about, we talked about a couple weeks ago, like how are we gonna welcome in these people who have no Jewish background and affiliation into this new faith? What needs to happen there? So Paul goes down to Jerusalem, the council meets, they have an idea, and then they come back to deliver the news, and then this problem is squashed. Whew, that's great. And then up springs another. Now, essentially what's happening, and this is where our teaching text comes from, is that Paul and his, his buddy Barnabas have gone out and they've started all these new churches into Asia Minor. And now after this all excursion back, they're ready to go back and visit those churches. 
but they don't want to go along because we have a communal faith. And so Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John Mark. Paul is like, I don't think so. Remember, verse 38 says, Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And there was such a sharp disagreement between these two men of God that they just went their separate ways. I hear you clearly, but I can't go with you. And that issue is a conflict that I think has really been the, has caused the majority of the schisms in the church and definitely has caused interpersonal strife between Christians. And the same with this, the work of Jesus versus the way of Jesus. The work of Jesus versus the way of Jesus. See, Paul, Paul had concerned himself with the spread of the gospel, so much so that Paul has foregone marriage, unlike other uh, leaders of the church, disciples and apostles, they had married and were doing journeys with their wives. But Paul says, no, I, you know, for me, I gotta, Jesus is my bride. Like, I've got to just go do this mission, right? And so he's given up everything for the work of Jesus, the spread of the gospel. And so for him to have someone who's maybe not up for the work doesn't seem palatable, namely Mark. The scripture tells us that Mark had already dropped out of a mission. Remember, Paul and Barnabas have been going into these societies and they're causing trouble because they're disrupting both the, the secular ways of the world, the, the rule of Caesar and the Pax Romana, but they're also upsetting the traditional uh, cultural religious structures of the world, right? So they're bringing in this Jesus who says, you will have nothing before me, no God or government. And so, as you can imagine, this kind of invites the smoke, if you will. And Mark is not proven up for the task. And actually, this kind of may be Mark's M.O. There's a, uh, a moment in, in Mark uh, 14 where there's this, these weird couple of verses. There's a lot of dispute about why they're in there, and there's no real definitive answer about who it is. But essentially, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is about to be arrested, there's this little vignette where this guy, a follower of Jesus, gets accosted by one of the guards. And for some reason, he's only wearing like his loincloth. And so he runs away because he's scared and he runs off naked. And that's his inclusion into one of the most historical texts in the world. <laughs> now there's a, there's a footnote in, a, in a, a 13th century Coptic translation of the Bible that, that says that that person in the book of Mark is actually Mark himself. That Mark is writing this little cameo of himself having run away naked as Jesus was being arrested. And if that's true, then no wonder Paul is like, this guy is always running away. We can't take him, not for this work. Mark wasn't a suitable co-laborer for Paul. But then you have Barnabas. See, Barnabas, one of his core principles is encouragement. Literally, like, that's his name, but it's not actually his name. His name is not actually Barnabas. It's actually Joseph. His nickname is Barnabas because of his, he's a son of encouragement. We see that in Acts 4. And so this guy is literally known as the guy who's all about building people up, giving them second chances, calling them into the fullness of who they are. 
This, you could argue, is the way of Jesus. And for Barnabas, I'm imagining that this is particularly a sensitive argument because he's talking to Paul. Now remember, Paul used to be a very staunch uh, Pharisee, right? They were the ones that were responsible for Jesus being crucified, right? So Paul, the chief Pharisee, becomes a Christian. And when that happens, there's this moment in Acts 9 where Paul comes to the apostles and he wants to join into the work of the faith. And they're like, aren't you the guy that used to kill all of us? I think we're good. But it's Barnabas who comes and vouches for Paul. Give this guy a second chance. I have seen him declare the, the, the name and the glory of Jesus. He's good. And so you could imagine that he's sitting there going, Paul, did I not stand up for you? Why would you not stand up for Mark? And if all that isn't enough, Mark and Barnabas are family, literally. We see in Colossians that, that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. So Barnabas is like, this is my blood. I know, he, I know he chickened out, but it's gonna be okay. Barnabas wants to restore Mark and not give up on him. This is the way of Jesus. So who's right? What takes priority? The way of Jesus or the work of Jesus? For us as a community, should we prioritize figuring out the right things for us to be doing? Or do we prioritize people, meeting them where they are and becoming an encouragement to them? Where's the emphasis? Both are valid, right? I think there's a little passage that I think can help shed light onto how I think we navigate conflicts such as these, the way of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And for that, we're gonna to go to Matthew 18. Uh, now, you may be familiar with Matthew 18. Oftentimes when we talk about like conflict in the church or, or discipline, usually people point to Matthew 18 as this kind of like textbook where you have to go get a person and another person and then everybody and then, uh, I would argue that that's actually not the point of Matthew 18. It is not a manual for how we handle church discipline and conflict any more than verse 9, where Jesus tells people to gouge your eyes out if they cause you to sin, is a manual for what to do for those who may be struggling with, say, pornography. Uh, I think Jesus is making a deeper point, and he's not trying to give us a textbook or a codex more so that he's trying to point to something that will supersede all of that. Here's what I mean by that. You gotta go to the beginning of, of, of Matthew 18, where the disciples are coming to Jesus and they have, they have this question. Basically, they wanna know and they ask, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in your kingdom? And essentially what they're asking as they start this discourse is what do we have to do to work our way to the top. This is something they've talked about a bunch. Two of them even brought their mother in to try to vouch for this spot. What work do we have to do to make our way to the top? To which Jesus answered, if you wanna know what works, change your ways. 
And to illustrate this, he takes a child. Now, in the scriptures, verse 3, it, it says, you know, Jesus calls for, for a child. That, that word there, oftentimes in Matthew, is, is the picture of a, of a little child, like a baby. It's used a lot when it talks about Jesus uh, being freshly born. And so Jesus, is, Jesus kind of beckons for someone, hey, hand me that baby. And, like, he takes this, he takes this baby, and he, and he says, hey, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You want to know who's the greatest? Those who are fully dependent on me. Like a child is for their parent. Can you achieve that? Can you work to be so dependent upon me that you seek me for all your needs? And then Jesus goes on, he builds on it. And he's talking about these little kids and he's, he's basically like, hey, and not only that, because when you're dependent upon me, that does leave you vulnerable. Children are, are very vulnerable, right? And so in that vulnerability, it is very important that we do not cause those who are dependent upon me to stumble. We don't cause others to stumble. And we also should refrain from those things that cause us to stumble. So be dependent and then allow and foster that dependency upon me in yourself and in others. And then he goes on to say, and then be dogmatic and work relentlessly to keep unity. This is that passage we often hear. Jesus says, hey, if your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they don't listen, go get somebody else. If they don't listen to you all, go get some more people. If, if they won't listen to all of the church, then like, hey, let's kick them out. Again, I don't think that's actually uh, a manual because no one in the scriptures follow it. Uh, uh, oftentimes you see, like uh, Galatians tells us, Paul says in the face of, of Peter's sin of, of, of xenophobia and, 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 and hypocrisy towards the Gentiles, he says, I oppose Paul, uh, Peter to his face in front of all of them. He didn't go take them for this kind of side conversation, right? But what is Jesus saying here? He's reminding them that how do the vulnerable thrive? In togetherness. And you've got to work to keep the bonds of unity. Go back again and again. Bring others so that they can give witness to the unity that you're trying to preserve. Call them back into the fold. And if they don't want the unity, if they are a person uh, uh, that is antagonistic towards unity, well then they can't actually even be a part of this because all this is dependent upon connectedness and community. And that's why they get put away. Because this whole thing only works if we are dogmatic about keeping one another, about you belonging to me and me belonging to you. This is our power. This is why Jesus says at the end of Matthew 18, he says, again, I truly tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Essentially, Jesus is saying what is most important to me is connectedness. You to me and you all to one another. And if your preoccupation is about being the greatest, then you aren't walking in my way and you aren't concerned about my work. The work of Jesus and the way of Jesus are not opposed. They are harmonious. The way of Jesus is the work of Jesus. 
And the work of Jesus is giving God glory by imitating Jesus' way of loving others as himself. The work of Jesus is giving God glory. That's his chief aim, to declare the glory of God, to give him his glory. But he does this by imitating, by living in a way of loving others as himself. How much conflict in this community that we will face will be overcome by us being dogmatic about loving one another and holding the bonds of unity. Now, does that mean every disagreement is gonna end up with us like nose to nose and a two straw root beer float? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, read our, our teaching text. Sometimes the way of Jesus can rightly call us to place distance between ourselves and others. I'm not going to go fully in this. I would refer you back to our lambs and Lions and Lambs series last fall where we talked about the, a process of reconciliation. But essentially, I want to say that when we face conflict, which we will, when you have conflict with another brother or sister within this community, sometimes the best thing you can do is to place distance between yourself and them. Even if that means you have to go to another community. Thankfully, that's why... We don't have all the believers of New York City in this place. It, it's okay. It may even be righteous. We see this in Jesus. Jesus often withdrew from crowds and his disciples because he needed replenishment. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often left behind people because he had to create distance between them so that he could get healthy. Often Jesus refuses to do sign and wonders because he had to be true to the Father and not what others desired of him when he stands before Herod. And Herod's like, oh, great, I've been wanting to see some of your tricks. And Jesus is like, no. I'm not your puppet. I'm not your, your jester. The signs and wonders I do declare the glory of God. And so in that place, I may have to seek some distance. Again, go back to verses eight of nine in Matthew 18, where Jesus uses this language of, hey, cut off your hand if it's causing you to steal. Gouge out your eye if it's causing you to lust. Well, what is he saying? He's saying, take seriously whatever you need to do that keeps you dependent upon me. Take seriously your spiritual, emotional, and physical health. Get a little wild about it if you need to. Now, wisdom and discernment may lead us to put distance between ourselves, but I think where's the balance? The balance is this. That distance should exist to seek health, not hostility. The distance we place between us and other believers should always be to seek health, not hostility. I'm not avoiding you because I just don't like you and I refuse to even acknowledge that you may be right or I don't want to make space for how you're seeing things. 
That is not what the scriptures call us to. And how do we know the difference? Well, that's why we have a Holy Spirit and community that help us discern. Is distance necessary for health? Or is this a way that I'm freezing this person out? In Mark 9, where this similar scene, and Mark was the first gospel, Matthew and Luke are writing their gospels based off of, of, of Mark's already written gospel. So Mark first writes about this kind of teaching, and, and in Mark's gospel, uh, it doesn't include any of the, the, the verses about going and getting brothers and people. Uh, it actually talks about, again, it uses that language of, hey, be mindful of, of having to gouge out your eyes. But then it ends with this, Mark 9, 50. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the point. Conflict will come. But as I say, my wife and I, we've been married for seven years. Let's be honest, she's probably divorced me a hundred times in her head. <laughs> but she's married me 101. So we just keep, we just keep one ahead. <laughs> if distance is defined by hostility, it will stunt the work of God. We see this when Jesus returns home and the people who are kind of hostile towards Jesus because he's a little too big for his britches now. He was, you were just like Joseph's son and now you're the son of God. Uh, <laughs> they have this hostility towards Jesus and in that place, Jesus says he can't do any miracles. He can't do any signs and wonders. But if health and the need for healing is in that distance. Well, the good thing about that is the Lord may bring the fullness of healing so that his work can be continued by bringing you back together. Remember, as we said, when you look throughout the scriptures, the scriptures never talk about Jesus reconciling me to you or, or, or you know, a husband to a wife. It says that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. We all meet in Jesus. And so when it's about him and in his work, he may bring us to end the distance between us and a person from which we have been placed the rightful distance. We see this in this story. Now, the scriptures never talk explicitly about Paul and Barnabas necessarily being reconciled, but we can take some inferences from other passages that say they were, in fact, reconciled. Not just Paul and Barnabas, but also Paul and Mark. Second uh, Timothy 4.11, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Imagine that. The guy that Paul at once was like, this guy can't help me. This guy is a wreck. Now Paul's like, Bring Mark, that's my boy, I miss him. We're so good in ministry together. The distance is separated. All for the work of Jesus to continue. So we have to allow Jesus to do that. And we do that by seeking health in him. Worship team is going to come back up. Uh, 
here's the, here's the takeaway. The gospel of Jesus is communal. We cannot participate in the fullness of gospel in and of ourselves. If all you know of Jesus is what you get by coming in here and just doing your own thing and then flittering off, you're getting backwash. You're getting a cheap form of the gospel. The music may be great and, and, and the teachings, you know, so-so. Uh, but you're missing out on the merit. The gospel of Jesus is inviting us into relationship where we mediate the love of God to one another. As my grandmother says, sharing joys multiply joys and sharing sorrows dividing sorrows. And so that's what we're doing. Standing in the gap for one another. Celebrating. All these new beautiful babies around here. Have y'all seen them? Weeping for the ones that aren't here. This is the work of the kingdom of God. This is the gospel. If you want Jesus, you got to take me with it. Sorry. This is our invitation. You can stand. There's a song. It's like come, come, the, come to the altar, and it says, "Are are you lonely and burdened with sin? Are you lonely and burdened with sin?" And I, and I love that they pair those two things together because loneliness, the implication is, I don't have anyone else. It's what sin does is it separate us from God. Are you lonely and burdened with sin? Come to the altar. His arms are open wide. promise that you're going to walk out of here with like the Kumar to your you know, cow or I'm a child of the night uh, <laughs> but I can ensure that there should be people here that want to see you for who you are I want to know the deposit of the image of God that's been placed in you I want to foster that and cultivate that. Gosh, I pray that's true of us. So if you are lonely, I just want to invite you. We're going to have people literally standing up here ready to pray for you. If you can't make it out of your seat, uh, just like look to your left or your right. Aim for the person that kind of has like a welcome smile on their face. So if that's you, if you're ready to welcome somebody, just kind of, just be ready. They'll pray for you there. You can come up here for prayer. If you're burdened with sin, there's a pattern. If there's something in your life, you've got all the friends in the world and you feel desperately lonely because they cannot tell you 
who you are. Well, only God can do that. Sin gets in the way of you hearing his voice. So if you're burdened with sin, I would invite you to come. Again, people will be here to meet you in confession or if you want to just assume a posture of relinquishment on this these carpets, you're welcome to. May you know the communal gospel of Jesus. And may it be no better typified, symbolized than in this table. The bread and the wine, this is common elements that do extraordinary things that remind us that through Jesus' sacrifices, he said, my, my, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. He said this to his disciples in a room. This is where we remember that at the foot of the cross, all things are equal. And that you are one of many. And there's place for you at this meal. Pray, relinquish, receive. However the Lord is calling you to respond today, I pray that you would not walk out of this door without just saying yes. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to continue giving worship to God because that's what you do when you find something amazing. You just scream. At least it's what my son does. come and receive as our communion servers come forward we'll receive the gifts of God for the people of God Lord Jesus I thank you that when the inevitable strife stands between us you have made a way back to each other that you are healing all wounds. I pray for those relationships that have distance between them, Lord. For those that are in health, Lord, may you continue just growing people and healing and binding their wounds. And for those where hostility has, has filled the air, Lord, I pray that you would drop and tear down the walls of hostility. That's what you do. Call us back to one another giving up our pettiness, giving up our selfish ambition and vacancy. Bless these elements, Lord, your body and blood. May they bind us as the family of God. We thank you for creating a table by which we can feast. In all these things, we give you praise and glory because you are worthy of your name. Amen. Amen. Family, come. Response.